Welcome to the Siski Christian Fellowship Podcast. Our prayer is that the following verse-by-verse teaching of God's Word would bring you closer to Jesus. So, 1 Corinthians, man, we've opened this book. I love the letters from Paul. You know, I really enjoyed Romans and all the epistles. Man, I really enjoy them. And I enjoy them because Paul is such a straightforward guy. You know, as we get into the book of, of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, we've talked about this. This is a letter of, of correction for them. This is a, a church that was being more influenced by the world than they were influencing the world. They were an immature church. They were a church that had all sorts of problems, maritally and sexual immorality and, and substance and all the rest. And, and I really like the, the letters to the church at Corinth because they're relatable. Right? They're, they're just real life relatable. They're things that, that people struggle with. And, and Paul really gives the answers and he doesn't pull any punches. And, and so we've been looking at this letter of, of correction. And the beginning of this first book, this first letter to Corinthians, you know, Paul kind of addresses some of the issues that they're going through. Again, remember, he had heard from somebody who was familiar with the church that there was trouble in the church there, that, that they were having issues, that there was lots of divisions, that the church had been torn apart into these different factions where they were holding up men as their leaders and they were identifying with their ministers. I'm of Paul and I'm of Apollos and I'm of Peter and and there were even those who said, man, I, we're of Jesus only, but not in the way that we would get behind and say, yes, only Jesus, in a way where they were smug and they were even part of the problem. And Paul kind of identifies the issue really as their spiritual immaturity. And so he's just kind of running them through all of the, the errors and bringing correction to them. And man, it's just really helpful and practical as we look at this. We can make so much application to our own lives. And so... I have touched on the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, not this Sunday, but the Sunday before that. And then last Sunday, I touched on the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And so tonight, we're just going to button everything together. We're going to go through uh, uh, chapter 2 and chapter 3. And so let's just kind of jump right in. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So, Remember, Paul is encouraging these guys to not have faith in just men or the wisdom of men or the personalities of men, but to have faith in the true and living God as there is all these divisions in there. But as Paul opens up this second chapter of 1 Corinthians, he kind of, he, he explains to the Corinthians how it is that he ministered unto them. He explained to them how he came to them and the message that he had. And like we looked at a couple weeks ago, man, as Paul kind of explains to the Corinthians how he came and ministered to them, it's an example. There's kind of a framework for us how we are to minister to folks. And again, like we talked about a couple Sundays ago, he said, well, that's great, but I'm not a minister. That's your job. Uh, You are the pastor. You get to minister. Ah, but that's not true. 
We're all ministers like we talked about. Uh, you know, we've all been sent, right? The Great Commission found in Matthew 18 applies to all of us. When Jesus was telling the disciples to take the, the gospel not only from Jerusalem, but Judea and Samaria to the, the uttermost parts of the world, that applies to us as well. We've all been sent. There in 2 Corinthians 3.6, uh, Paul says that we are sufficient or that we are able ministers of the covenant, uh, that is, of the new uh, covenant of Jesus. And then in John 15, that we have been ordained to bear fruit, to, to share the, the good news of the gospel. So again, just a, a reminder, and we're going to rip through these first little first five verses because we've already been there. Um, but Paul is just saying, this is how I've ministered to you, and we can glean from that, and we can look at the framework. And the first thing we looked at was Paul's approach there in the first couple of verses, that he said, man, I didn't come to you with the excellence of, of human speech or human wisdom, right? And there's a, a lesson for us in that, that when we are ministering to folks, that we don't need to come in human wisdom or in the excellency of speech. We don't have to use a big vocabulary or be super relevant or entertaining or poetic or philosophical. And we can just come and we can preach Jesus and Jesus alone. That's what Paul said, man, I've come just preaching Jesus and Jesus crucified. That is the information that people need. That's what people need to be reminded of. In every single situation in your life, Jesus is enough. And that's the reminder. Paul says, you know what? I've made it my goal, my mission, when I came to you guys to, to know nothing other than Christ and Christ crucified. That really was Paul's approach. I'm not going to be fancy, no razzle-dazzle, no, you know, half-off deal, no salesmanship, just Jesus. So that was his approach. That is to be our approach. And then in verses 3 and 4, he kind of shares what his attitude was. That he came to them in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And again, we talked about this before Corinth. Remember, there was Athens. Remember, Paul went to Athens where it was the seat of, you know, uh, intellectual debate and philosophy. And, uh, you know, they were really into being smart. And Paul went there and, and he, uh, you know, presented Jesus in a very, philosophical way. He quoted their poets and, and all the rest. And, and there's great debate on whether or not that was a mistake on Paul's part. And we won't get into that tonight. But what we do know is that there was no church planted in Athens, that, that many mocked Paul and that many didn't believe. And so there are those who would say, well, Paul now comes to Corinth in weakness and trembling because he got his spiritual butt kicked in Athens and now he's changing his tune and he's, he's doing this. But really, I don't believe that to be the case. And I shared this with you guys when we went through it a couple Sundays ago. I really do believe that Paul is just saying, hey, I'm coming to you in weakness that my strength might be in Jesus. I'm coming to you in fear and in trembling in that I'm not relying on my own efforts or my own energies. I'm relying on the Holy Spirit to do the work that I can't do. And again, that's a great word for us. We come with the message of simplicity, just Jesus. We come relying not on our our own efforts, but on the strength of the Holy Spirit. And then lastly, we looked at in verse 5, uh, what was Paul's aim as a minister and what should our aim as a minister be? And our goal is simply to, to win people to Jesus. So often as we share the good news of the gospel or when we minister to folks, we can get into, we can get into the mindset of winning an argument over winning a soul. And Paul says, you know, our, our aim, our goal 
is just to, to win people. It's not to grow our ministry. It's not to win an argument. It's, it's, it's just to win folks to Jesus. And so that was greatly freeing as we looked at it a couple weeks ago. That as we go to minister, because we're all called to minister, man, we do it in simplicity, just Jesus. We rely on the Holy Spirit and not our own salesmanship. And our goal is just to see people saved to the Lord. And what that does is it frees us up. Man, it takes the pressure off. It's not up to me. It's not up to my salesmanship. The Lord is the one who does the work, and I just want to see souls saved, right? And so it's good for us to remember. Now, verse 6, Paul continues on as he's speaking to the Corinthians. He says, However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. So Paul opens up, chapter 2, really by giving us, you know, his uh, approach and his attitude and his aim. And it's very simple. Jesus and Jesus only. We're not getting deep. We're not getting philosophical. We're not getting into the wisdom of this age. But then Paul says in verse 6, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature. See, here's the thing. It's not that God puts a, a premium on ignorance. It's not that God puts a premium on, you know, being uh, having everything dumbed down or that God rejects wisdom. Uh, Paul is not saying that we should not dig deep as Christians, right? I, I love Isaiah 118 because the Lord says through Isaiah, come and let us reason together. Now, what do we do when we reason? Our brains are engaged. We're, we're going over, uh, you know, the specifics. We're digging into a topic or an item. And what, what Paul, or not Paul, but what Isaiah says, he says, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord, that your sins were like scarlet, that they shall be as white as snow, that they were red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Isaiah says, let's reason together. Let's engage our brains and think through this deep mystery of salvation, how we were lost, how we were sinners, how our, our sins were as scarlet, and now they've been made white as snow, how they were uh, red like crimson, but now they're white as wool. Right? When it comes to sharing the gospel and ministering to, to a lost and dying world, man, keep it simple. Just Jesus. That's easy. That, that's great. Uh, rely on the Holy Spirit and keep your, your, your view, your target in view, man. We're just wanting to see people saved. But when it comes to those who are mature, right? When it comes to brothers and sisters in the Lord, and that's what Paul means when he says mature. Like when I speak to the mature, man, we dig deep. It's not the wisdom of this age, you know, the, the rulers of this age, but it, it's the, 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 the mysteries of God, the wisdom of God. Paul says we dig deep in those things amongst those who are mature, and what he means is the spiritually mature. Uh, and we can dig deep. We can investigate those mysteries. We ought to, to dive in. Paul says we speak wisdom. Uh, we dive into the mysteries of God. Now, what are the mysteries of God that Paul is talking about? When he says, man, we dive into the mysteries of God. They're those things that were previously unknown. 
Those things that, that were a truth, but they were a hidden truth. Uh, that truth that God revealed at the right time. And the truth of God, this wisdom of God, God's truth, his plan for all humanity, it transcends all time. Right? It, it's, it's a plan that God has always had, the redemption of humanity. It's not like God, after he created man in the garden, was like, oh man, what'd they go and do that for? Now what can we do? Okay, let's see. Jesus, are you willing to go? Okay, Jesus, you can go and take. No, it's not like the cross was plan B. The Lord knew all along. He had his plan dialed in from before time. And you can look back at the Old Testament, right? When you look at the, the stories and the statutes and the rites and the songs and the celebrations, they all have one thing in common, don't they? And what is that that they have in common? And it's Jesus. It's Jesus, all of the Old Testament. That is the mystery that Paul is talking about, that this plan for the salvation of man through the blood of Jesus, God's only son who would come to this earth and live a perfect life and die on the cross for our sins, that he would conquer the grave after three days. It's beautifully uh, hidden throughout all the Old Testament scriptures and revealed in the New Testament. And to the Old Testament saints, it was a great mystery. Right? Lots of times, uh, even I have given the Old Testament saints a hard time. Like, how could you not know? How could you read these sections of Isaiah and Psalms and not see Jesus? Well, here's the thing. We have the great benefit of being on this side of the cross. Right? You've all heard the, the, the old saying that hindsight is 2020. Right? Looking back on something is much clearer than looking forward into a mystery. And so they were looking forward into this mystery, but now us, we aren't. And we can dive so deep into the mysteries of the Lord as we look into the Old Testament. And that's one of the things I love about Scripture, is that you can dive as deep as you want, or you can stay as shallow as you want. Man, the Bible, it is so beautiful in the simplicity of its message that even the most babiest of Christians can wade around in the shallow end and just be full of wonder and joy. But then as we grow in the Lord, the same text, man, we can dive deep and we can dig and we can never find the bottom. And yet we are filled with that same joy and that satisfaction and that wonder as the mysteries of God are being revealed. And so Paul says, it's not that we put a premium on being ignorant. It's not that God doesn't value wisdom. No, come let us reason together. Let's dig deep as spiritually mature Christians. Paul is just saying for those who don't know, hey, keep it simple and keep it, keep it easy. And then he goes on to talk about this, this truth of God, this, this mystery that's being explained that it was for our glory. Again, that the truth that God established before time and then revealed in the New Testament, it, it, it's the plan of salvation. It's the most beautiful story that humanity has ever experienced. Uh, and again, it wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't something that God was like, oh, well, we better do something now. It was before time began. It was hidden in all the mysteries of the Old Testament. And so Paul says it's for our glory. And then also notice that Paul talks about this wisdom. He says that he digs deep into the wisdom of God, but not the wisdom of this age. Right? I love that about Paul. He says, I'm not, I'm not really interested in the wisdom of this age. Paul, he, he doesn't get bogged down in worldly concerns or pursuits or philosophies. 
He's not interested in the wisdom of the world. He's not interested in engaging in that way. And there is an encouragement hidden in there for us. That as we gather together, and I pray that we would be a body of believers that, that go deep with each other and go deep in God's word. Uh, we are to do that. It's super important. And, you know, oftentimes, it's very tempting for us to keep things on a very superficial level. It, it, it's comfortable to keep things on a superficial level. It's easy to keep things on a, a comf- uh, superficial level. It's comfortable. It's safe. It doesn't require any commitment. But here's the thing. is superficial doesn't bear much fruit. And I understand that sometimes, it, you know, we dig deep together corporately and say, man, I would love to, to dive deeper with some other brothers and sisters. Do it. Get plugged in. And I want to remind you guys that we have lots of stuff going on in the fellowship throughout the week. Small groups designed just for that. It's hard to dig deep on Sundays. It's hard to dig deep sometimes even on Wednesday nights when we're going verse by verse and chapter by chapter and book by book. Uh, it's great to do it corporately, but it's so important to dig in together, to have some, some brothers. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. It's why we have youth group. So teenagers can get together and dig deep together. It's why we have men's Bible study. So men can get together and dig deep and women's fellowship and, and, and women's Bible study. And it's why we have small groups, home fellowships. Man, get plugged into those things because it really is important that we do that. And so Paul here, man, he talks about the simplicity of the gospel. Man, I just, I, I determined to know Christ and him crucified amongst you. That's it. But it doesn't mean I'm not going to go deep with those who are spiritually mature, who, who want to go deep. And then Paul kind of calls out the rulers of this age and the rulers of Jesus' day. And he says, man, it's the, the knowledge of the world that the rulers had. They didn't understand the, the mysteries of God. If they had, Paul says they wouldn't have crucified Jesus. If they understood the mysteries of God, they would not have crucified the Lord. Now, here's the thing. Jesus, you guys think back with me. When Jesus was arrested there in the Garden of Gethsemane, like the Roman soldiers, they came at the order of the religious leaders. And Jesus, there in just a few hours uh, over the, the night, really through the middle of the night and into early the next morning, he went through six different trials. Three religious trials by the Sanhedrin. First he went to Annas, the high priest, and then Caiaphas, who was related to him, was a high priest before, and then he went before the Sanhedrin, all Jewish uh, trials, all false trials, all illegal trials, by the way. And then he went before Pontius Pilate, who sent him to Herod, who sent him back to Pontius Pilate. And all along the way, there was really no charge that would stick. There was nobody who could provide any evidence. And yet, they kept on marching forward with this, crucify him, crucify him. Why? Because they were filled with the knowledge of the world. They did not understand. They could not understand. They just did not get it. And, and, and they didn't get it, again, because they did not want to get it. See, here's the thing. The, the mystery of God, those truths that were hidden in the Old Testament that are revealed in the New Testament, the spiritual realities, and those are things that are revealed to us by God in his timing, but it requires of us our wanting to know it, our desire. 
See, here's the thing. Like I prayed, God will not take us deeper than we want to go. He will not drag you into spiritual maturity, kicking and screaming. He won't. He will grow you in ways that you can't imagine if you hunger and thirst and want it, but he won't drag you there against your will. And if we aren't interested in, it will remain a mystery. And that is why Jesus taught in parables. Remember Jesus? Man, he taught in parables all the time when he was on this earth. Now, why did Jesus teach in parables? Well, first of all, everybody loves a good story, right? Nothing is engaging like, wow, what happened? What's going on? How's it going to end? But also, uh, he explained why he taught in parables there in Matthew 13. In Matthew 13, 10, it says, And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak in parables? And he answered and he said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but not to them, uh, but to them it has not been given. So, Jesus says, it's been given to you guys, the disciples, my crew, but not to them. Why? What was the difference between the disciples and the other? Is that the disciples, when Jesus said, come and follow me, they said, all right, Lord, we don't get it. We're not sure, but we're going to follow you. We're going to go. They desired, they wanted uh, more of Jesus. And uh, Matthew 13 continues on, for whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even that which he has will be taken away. So the one who has been given understanding because he desired Jesus. And he will receive more understanding. But the one who didn't want, who doesn't have understanding, even the understanding that he thinks he has, will be taken away. And so, uh, really, in a nutshell, why did Jesus speak in parables? So that only the people who wanted to understand would. Jesus spoke in a way that if you wanted the spiritual truth available, then you would get it and you would grow. And wow, but if you weren't interested, then it wouldn't be forced upon you. And so uh, God's timing, man, our desire to follow the Lord, to understand uh, the leaders in, in Jesus' day didn't get it. And they didn't get it because they didn't want it. And as I scale back and think about that truth and superimpose it over our current reality in our country, and I think about our spiritual leaders, I say, oh, Lord, help us. Because the spiritual leaders in Jesus' day didn't know spiritual truth because they didn't want to. And I fear the same thing for our leaders. Now, not all of our leaders. And pray for those who are in positions of authority that the Lord has raised up who fear God, who, who, who know the truth. And pray for those who don't. And again, you know, we don't have to be filled with consternation. We don't have to say, oh boy, the leaders in the White House are are crazier, the leaders of California are crazier, the leaders of wherever don't know you, Lord, and they're wicked. Because guess what? God has ordained for them to be there also, and he can use them. Uh, but it is interesting that, man, the, the leaders in Jesus' day, they didn't get it. And they didn't get it because they didn't want to. And then Paul gets into this section here now where he quotes Isaiah. I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. And you say, man, what is that all about? How does that fit into this discussion of earthly wisdom versus God's wisdom uh, revealed only by the Lord to those who are uh, willing and, and desiring of it? First of all, Isaiah 64.4 is where this is, is quoted from. And we have to look at the immediate application of that verse. That verse was applied to Israel after Israel as a nation had walked in great sin. And you guys remember the history of Israel. What happened? 
They walked in sin. They worshiped idols. They rebuked God's prophets. They killed God's prophets. They would not repent and they would not turn to the Lord. And they left the Lord with no other option but to stay true to his word and bring discipline into their lives. And they were led off into captivity by the Babylonians. Nebuchadnezzar came in and wiped out Jerusalem and they were taken off to Babylon for 70 years. And this was written to them that that they might have a, a hope for the future. Now, as they looked forward to that hope, as they looked forward to the, the future, that God was going to set them free someday, that he had a plan for them, that he was going to see them through, that was the original context of that verse. Now, oftentimes, you hear this verse applied to heaven, right? I have applied this verse to heaven many times. And it's not that that is wrong. It's just that there is more to that uh, scripture than just applying it to heaven. And Paul does that here, right? He applies it to the wisdom of, of the Lord. There's an application, not just for Israel, not just for our hope of heaven, but for the hope that we have here and now. That this wisdom that is available to us here now, it's a wisdom that no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor has even entered into the heart of man. It is God's wisdom that is, uh, it's not discoverable by the eye. That is uh, God's wisdom, there's no amount of evidence that can, can really convince us or uh, download this wisdom into our lives. And we've talked about, uh, you know, the evidence that has been available uh, to the Israelites and to the, uh, you know, the religious leaders in Jesus' day. How when the, the nation of Israel was going through the wilderness, man, there was sign after sign after miracle after miracle, and still they didn't enter into the promised land because they didn't believe. The religious leaders of Jesus, they would not believe upon the Lord because they said, show us a sign. And Jesus showed so many signs to prove who he was, but they wouldn't believe. See, the wisdom of God is is not discoverable by any sort of evidence that we can have. It's not not discernible by any argument. It's not discernible by ear. And it's it's not discernible by any sort of... uh, rational conclusions uh, of, of man, through the heart of man. And so, you know, it's interesting that, that this, this scripture that's quoted so often, quoting heaven, actually gives us a hope for now. It's this wisdom of God that we can enjoy, that we can know with that shadow of doubt that the Lord is going to see us through. And so the wisdom that, that Paul is talking about is not discoverable by ear. It's not discoverable by, uh, you know, eye or by clever argument or by our own discernment. How is it discerned? How is it discovered? How do we know the truth of God? By the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit. And that's where Paul picks up in verse 10. He says, But God has revealed them, that is the mysteries, the truth, the wisdom of God, to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the meaning of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit uh, who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. 
nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And so Paul says that this truth, this wisdom of God, is, it's revealed by God. It's only by the Holy Spirit that the truth of God is revealed unto us. Why the Holy Spirit? Why is it that only the Holy Spirit can reveal it to us? Well, Paul gets into this whole situation where he says, and who can really know a man's thoughts? Well, nobody can know a man's thoughts except for that man. Who can know God's thoughts? Nobody can know God's thoughts except for God. And so the Holy Spirit really is the only one qualified because he's the only one who knows all about God. And he knows all about God because he is God. Right? Nobody knows a man's thoughts except for that man. Now, those of you who are married can sympathize with the statement I'm about ready to make. Nobody knows the thoughts that are in your heart or in your head except for you. But somehow my wife expects me to know exactly what she's thinking all the time, right? Uh, the other day, you know, there was a fire that was going in our house. I got up and, and there's this puny little fire going but I run hot, so I'm always like, man, there's a fire going. Let's open some windows. And she says, oh, I'm sorry about the, the wimpy fire. And I was thinking, no big deal. That's great. No fire. And I'm making coffee or doing whatever. And again, she says, sorry about the wimpy fire. And I thought, no problem. This is great. No problem for me. And a couple minutes go by. She says, thank you. Or, or, or I'm sorry again for the, the wimpy fire. And then the Lord was like, whoop pop. She's not apologizing for the wimpy fire. She wants you to make the fire hot and stoke it up. And so nobody knows the thoughts that we have except for us. In the same way, nobody knows the thoughts of the Lord except for the Lord. And that's why he sends uh, the Holy Spirit to teach us because the Holy Spirit is God. And so Paul says, this is what we've received. What have we received? Wisdom and understanding and revelation and, and salvation, the Spirit of God. Uh, you know, Jesus said, it's good that I go that I might send the Helper. To, to teach you and to give revelation to you. Super important. Uh, but again, all the understanding that we have of the Lord, of God, is from God and God alone. And, uh, you know, he gives us uh, all of the evidence that we need. He gives us his word. He uh, has sent his spirit. But there is this wall that we come up against, right? There's this, there's this crossroads that we come to. As humans, as we're trying to, to discern what the wisdom and the truth of God is, where we have to be born again. There's no other way, and that's what Paul says, there's no other way to truly know God except for through the Holy Spirit. That when we're born again and we have the Spirit dwelling in us, then we can discern spiritual things. But there's no way to discern spiritual things without the, the Holy Spirit. The natural man cannot receive, that's what Paul says. Who is the natural man? The natural man is the unsaved man. It is impossible for the unregenerate individual to receive spiritual things. Again, I talk about this all the time. God will give you everything that you need to step out in faith and trust him. But you'll come to that point to where he's given you all the knowledge, all the evidence that you need, and you will have to take that step of faith. And you won't understand a single thing beyond that until you have the spirit in you to reveal spiritual things to you. Does that make sense? And so sometimes as we're walking through with people and, and we're sharing Jesus with them, you got you to let them know. Like there is that point where you say, all right, you just want to get saved. 
you want to get born again? Are you having trouble understanding? Just get saved and have the Spirit, and then you will begin to understand. And so Paul says the natural man can't understand. Uh, spiritual things are foolish to the natural man. You know, people look in on what we're doing tonight, and they say, why would you waste a perfectly good Wednesday at church? Like, why do you guys care so much about what the Bible says? You go and you sing songs. What is that all about? You go and you pray, and, and they just don't get it. To them, it's foolishness. But uh, they just don't understand. Uh, the truth of God uh, is spiritually discerned, and they're incapable of, of understanding. Uh, and then Paul gets into this, uh, this section as he's finishing up chapter 3. Chapter 2. We're not going to get to chapter 3, don't worry. Those of you who are worried, like, we're going to be here all night. We're just not going to get... We'll, we'll commit to finishing chapter 2, and then, and then we'll save chapter 3 for Sunday. But Paul, he says, The natural, the natural man uh, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things... Yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So what does Paul mean that uh, he who is spiritual judges all things? That we can understand. That we can discern. That's what that word judge means. It means to, to evaluate, to make judgments, to understand. And he says that we can evaluate, that we have the capacity to understand, because we have the mind of Christ. Now, what does it mean to have the mind of Christ? It means to have the understanding of Christ. Again, to have that capacity. And, you know, I've heard people talk about this. They've said, well, you know, because we have the mind of Christ, we, we don't really need to study the scriptures, that, that God reveals himself to us and gives us the things that we need through the Holy Spirit. And that is not true. Obviously, God would not have given us his word if he didn't intend for us to study uh, what Paul is talking about is simply the capacity to understand the things that God has written to us in his word. Without his word, it short-circuits the whole situation. This is the truth. We still need to study to show ourselves approved unto God. Uh, workmen who need not be ashamed, who rightly divide the word of truth. We need to understand uh, the scriptures. We still need to surrender. We still need to be uh, obedient to the revelation that God has given us. Uh, again, this is the capacity that we didn't have before, this understanding uh, of Christ, that, that the, the, the believer can judge uh, all things. But then he says that they're not subject to any judgments. What does that mean, that the believer is not subject to any judgments? I, I, don't, I don't get it. What does that mean? Uh, it's basically to say that no one can look in who is an unbeliever into the life of the believer and judge what we're doing. As people look in and say, you guys are idiots for getting together and doing church on Wednesday night. That would be like a deaf person criticizing Mozart or Bach. Like, you don't even know what you're talking about. It'd be like a blind person uh, being critical over a, a, a beautiful Michelangelo, you know, or, or, or whatever. You say, you have no idea. And that's what Paul is saying, is that, uh, that we're not subject to that. And so... Paul here, he says, man, no one can judge the spiritual man other than God, basically. And that's the truth. And so Paul deals with the natural man, the, the unsaved man, 
Uh, he deals with the spiritual mature, that is the, the person who's growing in the Lord. And then in verse 3, or chapter 3, he begins to deal with uh, the carnal man. That is the saved individual who is uh, saved but still worldly, still walking in the world. And, and we talked about that individual on Sunday. Um, but here we are. We're just going to finish early because we can either finish at 8.30 or we can finish at 7. We're going to finish a little later. We're going to rip through it. We got to make tracks, guys. See, that's a part of growing in the Lord. See, I'm tempted to let us all off the hook and say go, but we need to grow. And I don't know if you want to be let off the hook. If you do, I'm sorry. We're just going to go through chapter 3 and I will make haste, but we just have to grow in the Lord. We got to make tracks on Wednesday night. That's what we do. So now Paul's going to get into... Um, uh, that, that third individual, the carnal uh, individual. That is the person who is saved, but again, they are worldly. And uh, chapter 3, we'll look at just verse uh, the first couple verses that we covered on this last Sunday. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal, for where there are envy and strife and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not acting carnal? So Paul here, he's calling out the Corinthian church for their carnality, for being immature in the Lord. And we talked on Sunday the importance of spiritual maturity, desiring to be spiritual mature, to grow in the Lord. We talked about the dangers of being spiritual immature. The, the church at Corinth was very spiritually immature. They were carnal Christians. They were influenced by the world. They had one foot in the world and one foot in church. They were limping between two opinions, like uh, Elijah says. And they were so full of the junk that the world offered. They were taking in so much garbage, so much carnal garbage, that they had no appetite for the things of the Lord. And so they were not growing and they were not bearing fruit. And Paul says, man, you guys are like adults who are acting like uh, babies. Uh, and, and we talked on Sunday uh, about like, you know, a, a grown man who would be wearing a diaper or a, a woman who was nursing a child who's 30 years old. And you say, man, that is both disturbing and gross. And you should be embarrassed. And that is what Paul's getting at with the, the Corinthians, is gross, it's disturbing, it's weird how you guys have not grown up uh, in the Lord at all. And we talked on Sunday, how is it that we are to grow in the Lord? And we talked about the, the, the reality that there's a, a part that the Lord does on our behalf. There's that act of sanctification, where the Lord is using different things in our lives and his Holy Spirit to grow us, but that we also play a role in that sanctification and that we are to take in good nutrition. Just if you were trying to get physically fit, you would watch what you would eat and you would work out physically. If you want to be spiritually mature, if you want to be spiritually fit, the same applies to the Spirit, that you would take in good spiritual food. Don't expect to be spiritually mature while you're looking at, you know, YouTube shorts all day and Instagram reels and you're just you're vegging out on movies that don't honor God and it won't happen any more than you would get buff sitting on your couch eating top ramen and ice cream. And so 
there's the part that the Lord plays, there's the part that we play, and then there's the part that we do collectively, right? And we, we talked about this on Sunday, how when a baby is born into a physical family, everybody makes sure that that baby is doing well, that baby stays safe and out of the road and, and away from the pit bulls and all the rest, right? And we're to do the same thing when someone is born again. Man, so-and-so got saved, that's great. Let's look after them as a church family and make sure that they're, they're doing well and that they're growing in the Lord. And so, again, the church at Corinth, they were bickering about who they were following. Some Paul, some Apollos, some Peter. And Paul says, man, that is a mark of immaturity that you guys are bickering. Kids bicker and fight. And that's what they were doing. They were bickering and fighting. And because there was so much division, man, they weren't walking out God's purpose for their life. Verse 5. So who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field. So who is Paul? Who is Apollos? Right? These are the men that the church at Corinth are lifting up and saying, man, I'm in this dude's camp. He's my guy. They are the ones that the church is elevating. And Paul says, man, we're just ministers. We're servants. We're the farmers. We're the ones out doing the work. And you guys have made heroes out of the, the servants. Your affections have been misplaced. They shouldn't be on us, but they should be on the Lord. And Paul is really getting at this idea that they're all on the same team. That, that some plant and some water and some tend. And, but it's God who gives the increase. Uh, and that's the way that it is. I mean, we all have different gifts and talents and, and backgrounds and senses of humor and all the rest. But we are all part of the body. We're all ministering in a way that's complementary, not competitive. And that's what Paul is trying to get. The, the church at Corinth was picking their leader and then building their team as if they were all opposing each other and then they were enemies. But Paul's saying, no, listen, we are all on the same team. And again, they had this problem because they were immature and they got their eyes off of Jesus and they got them onto each other. And there's always going to be trouble when we as a body of believers get our eyes off of Jesus and onto each other. And so Paul says, man, we're not only are we on the same team, but we all have one captain, one leader, one savior, and he is the one who gives the rewards. He is the one who sorts things out. You guys remember the, the parable of uh, the, the servant who, or it was the, the vineyard owner who went and hired out the servants for the day? You know, uh, where was that? Did I make a note of it? Yeah, it was in Matthew 20. The parable of the vineyard workers is what it's called. And so the vineyard owner, he went out and, and he went to hire some, some help because he needed help with his vineyard. And he went out first thing in the morning, 6 o'clock, hired some dude, said, come back, help me work the vineyard, and I'll pay you a denarius. Then he went back the third hour. It was 9 o'clock in the morning. He says, hey, man, you guys are standing around idle. Come work for me. I'll pay you a, a fair wage. And then so on and so forth. He hires somebody at noon and at three. And then he hires another group. It was almost quitting time. And then it comes time for everybody to get paid. And he starts with the guys that showed up last. He starts with the, the guys that showed up and only worked for one hour. And they went to get paid and they got a full day's wage. 
And so all the other guys waiting in line, of course, are thinking, dude, payday. This is going to be great. If the guys who only worked for an hour got a full day's pay, I'm going to get like eight days' pay. But everybody got just one day's pay. And, and, and then they were grumpy about it. They said, well, you know, come on, that's, that's not fair. Remember what Jesus said? He said, can't I do what I want with my own stuff? It, you guys are having a hard time because I've been fair with everybody. And that's what Paul is saying, the same thing. You know, we're all on the same team. The Corinthians were looking, look at what they're doing, and that's not fair. Look at what we're doing, and look at, hey, listen, God is the one who's in charge of all of it. What are we to do? Man, we're not to have our eyes on each other, to be bickering about what's fair or not fair. We're to have our eyes on Jesus. In 1 Corinthians, or 1 Thessalonians, 4.11 says, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands as we command you. That's good advice, isn't it? So Paul and Apollos and Peter, all fellow workers in the field. And that's what Paul says. He says that you guys are the field. And there is the, the parable of the sower. Remember the parable of the sower? Where, where Jesus tells this parable of a man who was just sowing seed. And some fell on the, the path and the birds snatched it up right away. And some fell among shallow soil and the rocks. And it sprung up really fast. But because the soil was shallow when the sun came up, it dried out and withered away. And there was the seed that fell amongst the thorns. And, and it tried to grow, but it was choked out by the cares of this world. And there was the seed that fell on the good ground. And it grew and it, and it and it bore fruit. So Paul's saying to the church at Corinth, you guys are the field. We're the workers. We've come to tend and to plant and to grow. And, and individually, you guys need to be making sure that seed falls on good ground. But also corporately, they were uh, this, this field that God was working. And, and the, the whole idea is that they would bear fruit. And so that's what Paul's saying. And you, you, God's plan for you guys' life is that you would bear fruit, that you would grow. But you spend so much time bickering that you're, you're missing out on it. And then he continues on in verse 9. And not only does he liken the church to a field, but also God's building. You are God's building according to the grace which God has given to me as a wise master builder. I have laid the foundation and another builds on it, but let each one take heed how he builds. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, Wood, hay, straw. Each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy. Which temple are you? That's the temple that you are. So then Paul says, you guys are God's building. That, that God is shaping us. And, you know, we talked about this on Sunday, that he's the, the potter and we're the clay. And we talked about how, you know, he's the artist and we're the masterpiece. And how, you know, we're the field, right? Where we're growing. But he comes along, he prunes to make sure that, that we bear fruit and we are also his building. He's building into us. And that's what Paul is saying. Man, you guys are the field. We're, we're making sure that you're growing in the Lord. You guys are a building. And we're building on this foundation of Jesus. What is the most important part of a building project? If you say anything other than the foundation, you're going to be in trouble. Ask me how I know. <laughs> if you are out 
a quarter inch on the foundation. By the time you get to the roof, boy, you're a couple inches out. Things just multiply. If the foundation isn't solid, everything else falls apart. And that's what Paul is saying, is that, man, you guys build, I'm building on the foundation of Jesus. That is the solid rock that's the starting point for every single Christian, that we are building our lives on Jesus. And Jesus talked about that parable, that anyone who builds their lives according to their own knowledge, the knowledge of the world, that if they reject Jesus' words and they build their, their house just according to their own thing, it's like building on sand. And when the winds come and the waves crash down and all the rest, the storm comes, man, that house collapses. There's no foundation. But those of us who build our lives upon Jesus, he's the sure foundation. He's our surety. And when the waves come and the, the wind, probably not waves if you build inland, I guess, <laughs> uh, probably just the storm comes, man, you're doing all right because Jesus is your foundation. But now Paul begins to talk about the materials that we're building on that foundation of Jesus. And he uses two different kinds of building materials. There's the silver and the gold and the precious stones on one side, and there's the wood, hay, and the stubble on the other side. And when we build according to our own purposes and our own will, and that's wood, hay, and stubble. Our foundation is still Jesus, right? He is our foundation. We can build on no other foundation if we're Christians. But if we build with wrong motives, man, with, with shoddy supplies, it it won't be good. But if we build with uh, silver and gold, if we build according to God's knowledge and his purpose and his glory to satisfy his will, and then it's good. And, and there's this, this testing of the, the building products, if you will. And the, the testing is by fire. And the wood, hay, and the stumble, it, it, it burns up. And the loss is great, but the the precious stones and the silver and the gold, they remain. And it says that there's a day when this comes. And, and if you notice in your Bible, in my Bible, in your Bible, it should be capitalized. The word day is capitalized because that day is a special day. It's the judgment seat of the Lord, the judgment seat of Jesus or the Bema seat judgment. And we're already in overtime, so I won't dig into that too much, but just understand that there's two judgments. There's the judgment for unbelievers, it's called the great white throne judgment. That's a judgment unto salvation. Were you good enough to earn heaven? And the answer to that question is always no. And then there's the bema seat judgment, where believers will stand before the Lord, and our motives will be examined. And that is a judgment for rewards. And only the things that we did that were good really will, will, will last. The things that we did for the right motive and, and for God's glory. Everything else will be burned up. And the whole point of, of that story and of what Paul is saying is, man, what are you building uh, your life with? What are you building on top of the foundation of Jesus? Is it solid or is it going to burn up? What are your motives? And then he gets into that we are the temple of God. What kind of building are we? We're the temple of God. In the Old Testament, we have the tabernacle. That was the portable version uh, the, then there was the, the actual temple that Solomon built, and then after that one was destroyed, there was the one that you know, Zerubbabel and Ezra and Nehemiah built that lasted through into Jesus' time that Herod beautified. That was destroyed by the Babylonians. But what temple is God talking about is, is our temple, our bodies. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit individually, 
according to 2 Corinthians 6, and also corporately, uh, according to Ephesians 2. So it's the, the temple, the spirit of the living God dwells in us. And there's this warning to anyone who would try to interfere or destroy God's church. And there are those that would say, oh, that word destroy doesn't really mean to damn or to, to destroy destroy. It means to diminish. And the one who defiles the church by causing division will himself be diminished. And so his ability to grow in the Lord will be diminished. He won't be used by the Lord. And you can say, all right, I get that. Or you could just say, hey, there is a serious warning here that, that God loves his church. And there's a, a serious warning about those who seek to destroy it, that they could be destroyed. And so uh, I don't know that I would sugarcoat it to make us feel good about a warning like that, but uh, just know that there's a couple different views out there. And I would just say, hey, God lays down a pretty serious thing not to mess with his church. He loves us. He has a purpose and a plan for us. We're his bride. And uh, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And then this last couple, verses 18 let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. Therefore, let no one boast in men for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. And so Paul ends this chapter really by just reminding us that the wisdom of the world is bankrupt. That the, the wisdom of this world is got nothing for us. The wisdom of this world reflects the mind uh, of Satan and its foolishness in God's sight. And if we think that we're wise in this world, man, Paul says, become foolish. I mean, forsake the wisdom of this world that you might have real uh, godly wisdom. And uh, he says, man, don't boast in the ministers. Don't boast in who you think you belong to. Don't get lost in that self-centered, you know, uh, trap. That's an error. It's destructive. Instead, boast about the Lord. Boast about who you belong to. Boast about the source of your salvation the one who brings blessing and peace and, and joy. And, and then Paul ends with this last little phrase, how all things are yours. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollo, Cephas, or the world or life or death, presently things to come, all yours. Uh, all things are ours. And that's our Christian liberty. All things are working together for good. All things are ours. There's no thing that is, uh, you know, all things are are. are are profitable, or all things are lawful, not all things are profitable. It's like all things are ours. That is our liberty in the Lord. But you are Christ's, and that is our Christian responsibility, that we belong to the Lord. And so, man, we'll just end with that. I mean, that is the end of that chapter, and so I know we, we kind of went long, but hey, and it's good for us to dive into the word and to, to dig in and to make some tracks sometimes. And there's so much practical application in it for us. And if you were to kind of just step back and look at chapters 1, 2, and 3, man, one word that you see over and over and over again is wisdom. Wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. And the contrast between the wisdom of this world and this age and the wisdom of the Lord. And let us be those who aren't satisfied with the wisdom of this age. Let us be those who desire the truth and the wisdom of the Lord, that we wouldn't be 
uh, immature spiritually, but that we would be growing in the, the knowledge and the grace of Jesus daily, that we wouldn't be locked in uh, arguments and bickering, that we wouldn't boast in human ministers, but they would boast in the Lord who is our everything. Amen? So, Lord, we love you, and we thank you, and uh, we thank you, Lord, for just your word, and we ask that it would just continue to do a work uh, in our hearts. Um, Lord, as we leave this place, that we would chew on those things that you spoke to us, that you revealed to us by your spirit, and again, Lord, we ask that you would um, just continue to grow us together, Lord, that you would continue to grow us individually and that your will would continue to be worked out in our lives. We love you and we thank you. Be with us as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this teaching of God's Word presented by Siskiyou Christian Fellowship. We pray it's blessed you and given you a greater understanding of the Bible. To learn more about us, visit siskiyouchristianfellowship.com. 